and welcome to Ox Talks. I'm your host, Chris Oxley. And I invite you to follow me on an ever-evolving journey through the fascinating realms of psychology, leadership, and neuroscience. While this podcast was originally crafted to cater to those navigating the intricate world of wealth management and private banking, I now view it as a personal odyssey, a chronicle of my captivating conversations with these particularly intriguing individuals. Together we'll unearth profound insights and priceless wisdom, igniting fresh passions that will drive growth and development in both our professional and personal lives. Inspired by the sheer wealth of knowledge and charisma in this field, my mission is to shine a spotlight on the curiously interesting individuals I'm privileged to encounter. And so I extend a warm welcome to all who share an interest in these subjects. Dean Cooper is back, and this time we'll be delving into empathetic curiosity. If you missed Dean's first podcast with me where we discussed labelling, then I'd highly recommend listening to that episode too. But for now, I'll hand you over to the man himself for a quick reminder into who he is. So my name's Dean Cooper. Um, I have a 30 plus year career in management consulting, but in recent years, I've been more and more interested in learning what the elite practitioner does from outside of the business world. So looking into the worlds of things like hostage negotiation, interrogation, behavior profiling, body language, neuroscience, evolutionary psychology, even Olympic athletes, and really just trying to understand what is it that they do that we don't do in business. Um, And boy, did I discover some incredible things. And so I brought that back into the business world. And so I do a lot of training, coaching, uh, guest speaker slots for organizations, but also run um, a club called the Elite Practitioner Club, where we have um, ambitious and curious professionals all trying to learn these new skills, tools, and techniques and uh, deploy them into the business world with great success, I hasten to add. Yeah, no, it's amazing. Um, I'm a member myself and uh, yeah, the, the insights, the knowledge is just, yeah, you, you can't help but feel motivated by the the educational tools that, that, that come out of those sessions. So it's, yeah, no, it's, it's an amazing um an amazing community. If, if if anybody who's listening hasn't touched into it, we'll we'll put a link out on this for you. So this is our second podcast with you, Dean, and 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 as we've pre-agreed, we'd we'd like to bring some of those teachings from the club. And today's session, we are going to focus on empathetic curiosity. So, Dean, what is empathetic curiosity? Yeah, it's an interesting term, isn't it? How can I best describe it? I, I think what was interesting when I when I looked at Elite practitioners from outside of the business world, and I think it's fair to say you do see this within the business world as well. Those elite level leaders who just seem to be able to have everything aligned. Um, one thing that was consistent across all of them was what I'm terming empathetic curiosity. Now, to put it simply, I guess empathetic curiosity is your ability to be able to demonstrate that you understand the other person's perspective, even the bits that you don't like or completely disagree with, but you're able to demonstrate that in a way that they kind of get the message that says, okay, you get it because it's displayed and demonstrated calmly and clearly. And the reason that's such an important step is it's often the bit that we miss in those high stakes or challenging conversations that seem to go awry. I love watching people argue. I think this is probably the best time to, to see it in action. You know, whether you've got politicians on the television 
And you just see them tearing lumps out of each other, or you see two people arguing on the train or in a restaurant. Um, probably one of the best sources of seeing this in action in terms of how not to do it is when you look at sports pundits. So, uh, you know, if you're watching Saturday night football or Monday night football and you see um, certain individuals having a go at each other over a contentious decision or a, a dodgy penalty, you'll see exactly what I'm talking about because there's this fundamental step that in all of those cases, most people miss out. And it's that moment of demonstrating that you understand the other person's perspective. And it's such a key important step because if I haven't demonstrated to you that I get and understand how you see the world, then why on earth are you going to be even remotely interested in hearing my point of view or what I've got to say? Could you potentially provide an example, something that, that just comes up? It might even be daily life. Uh, doesn't necessarily need to be a business, but what would be a typical um, question you might receive and then a response which, which would have that ingrained? Yeah, I'll give, you, I'll give you an extreme example, if you like, because I think sometimes it's worth looking at the extreme examples. And if it works in the extreme examples, then you know it's going to work in the everyday examples that we have in our day-to-day in our -day conversations, whether that's at, at home or, or in the office. Um, now, in the hostage negotiation and negotiating world, um, you're facing facing extreme situations there. So, you know, there's some interesting videos that are out there on YouTube um, with a training exercise where you're talking to a bank robber, and you uh, the first thing you hear is, "I want a car in sixty seconds, or she dies." So, how can you be empathetically curious in such a high stakes situation as that? Because typically what's happening is you're triggering those fight, flight, freeze, or make friends reactions, those instinctive parts of the brain that are kicking in there. You've probably not got a reference point um, where you can compare, well, what happened the last time I heard those words? What's my default in that situation? And if you're highly trained, you've probably got to go to. But if you think about those high stakes situations, they're triggering all sorts of emotions and reactions. Most of the time, we tend to freeze initially when we're faced with a situation we're not used to facing or something has caught us off guard, then we try to work out, you know, what are we going to do with this? Um, so that's quite an extreme example. But in, in the business world, let's, I had this uh, a good few years ago. So when I was working in one of the big consulting firms, uh, we just won a, a, a big piece of work, multi-million pound transformation program. And I was run of one of the, uh, the, the big transformation work streams. And I uh, arrived at the client's office. This is my first opportunity to meet with the main stakeholder that I'm going to be working with uh, over the next 18 months. So it was an important initial conversation. It's our chance to build credibility with each other. It's our chance to build trust. And it's our chance to work out how we're going to work really well together on this project. And the first thing he said to me was, I didn't choose you guys. I voted for the other lot. And so you're, you're kind of thrown into this and you go through these two stages, of course. Your first reaction is, you know, I wasn't expecting that. How am I managing my emotions in terms of that reaction? Because it wasn't what I was expecting. And then there's that part of the brain that kicks in and says, well, how on earth am I going to respond to this? You know, what do I actually say to this person? And, and typically, you know, people will fall into those instinctive reactions. So maybe, and I think a lot of people do this, they fall into the make friends mode. They'll want to appease the person. They'll want to try and win them over. They'll want to um, apologize. You know, they'll, they'll tend to become very agreeable in order to make themselves feel safer in the moment. Maybe 
Um, you're just sitting there thinking, oh my God, I've got one of these clients. This is going to be hell for the next 18 months. And you become almost a bit laissez-faire about it. You, you, you perhaps become quite neutral in terms of your reactions around it. And um, you've given up before you've even started. Maybe the ego kicks in and you want to go for a fight and you, you're just so tempted to say, well, we won the contract, so everybody else thought we were good. You know, and you, you might want to go on the attack and, and defend your position. I've also seen people in that position start to wax lyrical about how good they are and why they won the work and try and convince the other person with logic. Um, none of those strategies are as effective as what the elite practitioner does. So the elite practitioner does, when they apply empathetic curiosity, they do those two things. They become heightened awareness around curiosity. They become, the, the curiosity goes off the chart. Because somebody's saying that to you for a reason. So I need to know what that reason is in order to understand it and then be able to do something with it. So curiosity goes off the chart. So I want to find out more about what's driving this behavior, what's driving this outburst, what's behind this. And it's empathetic because it's, you're asking questions and you're seeking information about the other person, not about you. And that's what makes it empathetic. So when you combine the two, it, it, it's an incredibly powerful tool for a number of reasons. So what I did in that situation, applying empathetic curiosity, and luckily enough, I was doing it before I even understood it. So I must've been just ahead of the game. But I said, it seems like you saw some things in the other company that you really liked. And what that instantly did was a number of things. One, it focused on him. Because as it turned out, there were some things that he really liked. He'd worked with them previously for a couple of years. He really enjoyed the way that they worked together and we were able to unpack that. Um, it made it about where he was at and his concerns and his worries about working with us. He had some preconceived ideas about what our business was about and how we worked with clients. And it turned out that he'd been told a few stories as part of this transition to a new supplier. So that didn't help either. So there were lots of preconceived ideas. And if I was in his shoes, I would probably have started to feel the same way. So what it also does is it gives you, you know, a good, it turned out to be a few minutes worth of breathing space. Because I've got all these emotional reactions going on. I'm thinking, do I say the right thing here? Do I say what happens if I say the wrong thing? I'm now not focused on the person in front of you, in front of me. All the while, I'm thinking about my reaction. The minute I can put it back onto them, and curiosity is your fastest route to composure. The more I'm composed, the more I can now know how to respond in the best way possible. So it gives you a lot of breathing space too. Gets them talking. Um, and you're going to get way more information as we did. It stops me emotionally reacting as well because, you know, those emotional parts of the brain that are, are triggering all of those emotional chemicals, it's not the same level of activity when you're operating from your prefrontal cortex. So that's why curiosity is your fastest route to composure because you literally operate in a different part of the brain. And if anybody's thinking, well, you know, was I lucky to come up with that statement? You know, I have a bank of go-tos now that I've developed having explored this further. So if you find yourself in a similar position where you think, oh my God, where did that come from? Or how do I respond to that? What do I do? You know, what do I say? My go-to is always, you must have a really good reason for saying that. Or a version of that that you might want to create for yourselves. It's just that instant way of getting more information, getting it back onto them. And uh, then you'll know what to do with what's coming next. Right. And it's, it, 
it's interesting. There's almost some alignment there through some of the studies that I've done in terms of, I hate to use the word in this scenario, but therapy from psychologists who are working, helping people work through their problems. And this is, it is effectively, you could almost say it's like a minor trauma. They don't, this, this isn't their decision. They're making you aware of this. And are we, by asking, I notice as well, you use the labeling um, <laughs> in, in, in your questioning there as well. Are, are we helping them process this potential defeat and letting them work through explaining where they're coming from and, and that just by doing that we know relieves pressure internally for these people is that, is that at some level is that what we're doing absolutely yeah it's a it's a wonderful byproduct of of that approach because um as it sounds like you already know you know and we're, we're using this a lot more in in the treatment of trauma and ptsd and so on the more you give a label to a negative emotion the more you talk about a negative emotional negative experience you start to disarm its power at a neurological level you know there's been lots of studies um that show when you wire people up to fmri scanners and you show them images that create some kind of emotion whether that's positive or negative something very interesting happens in terms of the activity in the brain when they talk about the positive feelings associated with the image, it actually enhances the positivity and that chemical and electrical activity increases. But when you talk about the negative emotion, it starts to decrease. So both the electrical and chemical activity decreases in activity. So that's telling us a couple of really important things, I think, when we have these you know, surprise moments or difficult conversations. Most people try to avoid talking about it. But actually, the more you give it air, the more you label it, the more you talk about it, you're actually at a neurological level disarming its power. And so it can be, you know, it might feel counterintuitive. We talk about this when we're, we're doing tough negotiations, when you've got bad news to deliver, you've got an overrun to ask for. Um, we tend to avoid the negative emotion. Actually, the elite practitioner and the elite negotiator will take that head on and they will talk about that negativity right up front albeit in a very specific way. And maybe that's a, another podcast for us to do, which will be around how do I deliver difficult messages or difficult news, knowing that that neuroscience can back me up in terms of its impact, because it is absolutely counterintuitive the way that we, uh, the elite practitioner goes about it. Okay. How might someone start their journey to understand and implement ideas around empathetic curiosity? So I think it is very much a mindset and it's going to take some practice. Um, but as I say, the first step I think is, is being more curious than you normally are. Um, and it will be challenged or tested in those higher stakes situations, of course, because we're forcing ourselves more inwardly than we are outwardly. But the more you practice it, the easier it becomes in those high stakes situations. So even if you're just practicing, uh, maybe watching somebody on TV or talking to a family member and being curious about something that they've said. I mean, certainly with uh, spouses, boyfriends, girlfriends, notice, you know, when something may be a trigger for you normally, or something has been said to you out of the blue, notice your initial reaction. Am I going inward here thinking about, am I going to come back with a clever response? Or how do I move into that curious part of my brain and think, I wonder what's made her, that person say that? And maybe ask, you know, and even just testing out, sounds like you've got a really good reason for saying that. Or as we saw in last time's podcast, just labeling. Sounds like something really upset you today. Seems like I've done something that's really cheesed you off. Yeah, no, makes a lot of sense. Are there any challenges with, with trying to use this? Where, are there any pitfalls, some areas where this, this could go a little bit wrong in, in terms of using this? 
I think I think the pitfall I sometimes see, and this is where the empathy bit of empathetic curiosity comes into play, is that we're tempted to either use labels or ask questions that are for our benefit rather than for the other person's um, opportunity to explain how they really feel about something. So we may use a statement or question in order to lead the witness down a certain route. Oh yeah, but don't you think this, or don't you agree that? So you're actually leading them rather than trying to understand them. You're leading them to your perspective or your point of view. Um, and that's not very empathetic. So the secret is how can I really deeply understand what's driving this person's behavior here? And not just understand it, but demonstrate that behavior. And I think this is the second part that people tend to, to fall short on, which re does require a bit more practice, which is how do I then avoid just saying, I understand, or what I'm hearing is, because those are two things that, since you use the word I, then it's about you and not about them. So drop that. And I know lots of people watching this would have had coaching training, um, counseling training, where you're supposed to say, I understand, or what I'm hearing is, um, my advice, the elite practitioner doesn't do that. Um, it may work for you now to a certain extent, but typically it's now making the focus of attention you and your interpretation rather than what's being shared with you from the other side. So I avoid I in those situations as much as possible. Um, it's demonstrating the understanding. So it sounds like you're concerned about X and you're worried about Y and you know this has resulted in in this. And what you're trying to do there is demonstrate to them that you really get it even when you completely disagree. And we've got so many opportunities to practice that at the moment because there are so many polarizing events going on in the world that at some point during the week, you're probably having some conversation about something that you completely disagree with another person on. That's a perfect time to try some of this out. Um, not only will you strengthen the connection and the trust and the ability to, to perhaps potentially have some influence with the person you're talking to, you may actually learn something as well. Um, about the other person or perhaps, you know, something that you weren't aware of that's really driving this other person's belief system. You know, sometimes we look and think, how on earth can you believe that? But when you start to be empathetically curious, they reveal a lot more information. It starts to make more sense. You may still not agree with it. You may completely disagree with the strategy that the person's deploying, but at least you're now starting to understand there's a reason behind it. And if I understand what is driving that behavior, then I've got the opportunity to have some influence there if I want to. You may decide that, well, I understand, but it's, you know, we can't go any further with it. But if there is an opportunity to influence, then, you know, you've got that opportunity now using the real drivers behind that, um, that belief system. So are we using this? Are we trying to reduce conflict? Um, and, and I'll go back to what you said around the mindset. So for you personally, when you see an opportunity or where you believe that this, this, this should be deployed, if you like, um, does your, does your mind go, okay, we've, we've got a situation, the guard has come up. So the mindset then comes around lowering the guard. And, and this is where we then step in with these, um, this type of, you know, as we say, empathetic curiosity. Is that what your mindset is doing? It's okay. We want to lower the guard and we want to allow a platform for them to be able to provide information to, to help us and to build the relationship? Yeah, I, th I think it's context dependent, but there's a common thread, if you like, across all of those uh, uh, contexts. So let's say I take a negotiation scenario. So maybe I'm going to be negotiating with somebody um, and we're going to be doing um, a long-term program around negotiation skills. 
I need to understand a number of things as part of that negotiation, because in any negotiation, information is, is gold dust. I want, you know, I want to understand why they want this. Um, what's, what's going wrong at the moment that they need negotiation skills and what's going to be really important to them about the way it's done and the way that we engage with people. Um, what are the outcomes they're looking for? What could stop them doing this? Um, I'm, I'm going to want to know things around their level of commitment, their budget, uh, you know, how serious they are to, to want to proceed with this and do it properly. Are they looking to manipulate me? Are they looking to get something on the cheap? Are they looking to get something for free? So there's a whole host of questions that I've got in that situation, but I'm always dialing into curiosity. I want to understand what's driving what they need. I'm also wanting to know what kind of negotiator am I dealing with? Even during conversations, I'm noticing, is there a shift in behavior? Am I noticing something at that body language level? Do we start talking about the terms of the deal or price and suddenly there's a shift in their behavior? My empathetic curiosity is kicking in at that point to go, okay, this is interesting. There's been a shift in their behavior. We were talking about this topic. I probably need to stay with this and be more curious. So it's just something I think that over time, the more you practice empathetic curiosity, it's constantly on. It's always there. And, and that helps you, one, observe more. And I think this is the other thing I've noticed is this, there's a number of really powerful byproducts to empathetic curiosity. One, you see way more than you've ever seen before. You observe the behavior, you observe reactions, you see when somebody's engaged and, and when it's triggered a thought and it makes you more curious in those moments. So it doesn't just reveal more information and the real value somebody's looking for. You see more in real time. And again, that just gives you so much more that you can leverage. Um, but it also makes you way more composed. I mean, I would say now in my career, I'm, I'm the most composed I've ever been in, in pretty much any situation now feels quite normal and calm for me, even when I've got, you know, if somebody's just going crazy at me. Uh, I haven't had that for a long time, thankfully. But, uh, you know, even if I've had a fallout at home or something, <laughs> you've got this level of composure um, that you're able to just know what to say and when to say in those moments because you're operating in the right place in your own brain. You're managing your own emotions. And that's my point about the fastest route to composure. So um, you could use it in leadership conversations when you're trying to understand, maybe you've got to try and get somebody to come into the office more. If you're going into that conversation, leading with logic, leading with the business reason why they need to be in the office more, you may get a small amount of success, but it's probably going to be reluctant. If you can demonstrate you understand why somebody might object to it, why somebody cares so much about working from home, you, you're understanding the, the real objections, um, it makes your job easier to be able to then respond to those needs um, and put forward your argument or your influence in a way that satisfies the deeper, more emotional lead rather than just trying to whack people with logic. So there's lots and lots of ways you can use empathetic curiosity, but I, I definitely feel as though now having sort of tried to master it, I don't know if you ever can, but certainly trying to master it and having played with it for so many years now, um, there are some amazing byproducts and it's just now constantly on. It's always, always there. Yeah, it's it's really interesting that we switch that from um, a relationship manager client perspective to management employee perspective. Um, especially in today, we feel that there's definitely a shift now where that was transferred to the employee. And I think empathetic curiosity is a real leadership um, strategy now. 
um, and being able to communicate and, and develop relationships internally from management to employees. Are you seeing an uptick in your services you like for, for those sorts of leadership training to, to help not necessarily win new business? Very much so. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I, and I think it's interesting because what I've seen is we've gone too far in one direction, which means we need more of this type of training. Now, it might sound st a strange thing to say, but I'll, I'll, I'll explain what I mean. What I've seen in recent years is we've become, this was, this will probably get some reactions, too empathetic for want of a better phrase. We, we're so focused on making sure everybody's happy and that everybody's content that most leaders now find it really difficult to be assertive when they need to, but in the right way. You know, when they need to get more of what they need or what the business needs more of, because in any employee relationship, it is a deal. You know, the, the business is paying you money to deliver great value to your clients, but it also wants you to be loyal. It wants you to be the best version of you when you work for them. And so, you know, there is this deal that's emerging around how we can both succeed in this relationship. But I think in recent years, we've gone almost too far in one direction. And a lot of clients are now coming to me saying, I don't want to lose, you know, the really strong connection that I want with my team. Uh, that has to be built on trust and respect and, and a common purpose and so on. But I also want them to be high performing. There's a set of standards that we can't fall below, both as a brand and also for them personally. Um, I don't want to feel like I'm a pushover. Uh, I, I don't know what to say when, and I had this recently, where some in one of my coaching sessions with a, a director where they were distraught at their lack of ability to be able to um, set some standards in their team around what happens on a Friday afternoon in terms of when the work isn't finished yet. So they had a scenario where one of their juniors had said, right, it's five o'clock. I'm sorry, the laptop's closing. This is my time now. And they hadn't finished the work they should have finished. And they couldn't get hold of them until the Monday morning. That report had to go to the client that night. And, you know, they were in bits in terms of how do I talk to that person? How do I, how will the business support me? Um, if we've created this culture where, you know, it's almost impossible to be more assertive as a leader. So I think what's interesting is we've probably gone down this road where it's too far. We're not saying we're going back in the opposite direction too far, but I think there is this fantastic um, ground where you can be assertive and respectful and empathetic in the right way. And so empathetic curiosity, I think, is one of those core tools, because if I'm going to have any influence over you um, in a positive way, then you're going to need to know that you get, you get it, you know, that, that, that you get this sense that as a leader, you understand me, how I work, how I take, what my objections might be. And it's interesting, we, be, we do become more open and creative and collaborative when somebody gets our position. So if I say to you, look, you might be worried about, you know, you're probably worried about coming into the office uh, four days a week. You know, we know the fact that you've got a family at home. You've got used to um, being at home and being around family. You're, you're probably worried about missing out on those important moments with your children. You're probably concerned about the fact that, um, you know, there might be some downtime traveling into the office. You might even be worried that you won't get as much work done in the office because you know what it's like. People, oh, I haven't seen you for ages. How are you? Let's go for coffee. Whereas you want to get your head down. Um, so even just being able to demonstrate a level of understanding of the other person's perspective makes them that little bit more open 
to, okay, you get it. You're looking at this from my perspective and you start to trigger um, an element of reciprocity when you're doing that as well. They start to think, well, you know all of this stuff and you're still asking me to do this. This must be important. Now I'm curious to know where are you going to go next with this? What is your ask? What is it you're asking me to do? So it, it's that segue between you know blinding somebody with logic or just giving them everything they want to being able to start to influence and build that relationship of, of trust and respect where they will start to do more work for you in, in the direction that you need them to go in. Yeah, and that's so important. Um, we're seeing this now. Um, I think it's just going to become more and more important, in fact, really with leaderships teams on, on how to communicate because that there's a real shift going on at the moment. There's no doubt about that. Um, but I don't see really training and development to help people. And I think we've, we've spoken about this before. Um, I've certainly posted about this where managers are expected to be quite literally psychologists now. Um, to, and, and it's, it's increasing. And I think with homeworking as well, where there's, there's plenty of studies out there now saying that there's more management roles because managing individuals over who are working from home effectively, there needs to be some really concise evidence that people are performing at home and the likes of that because it's, you know, they're out of sight, out of mind sort of thing. Um, and there's difficulties there, as, you, as you've pointed out, in terms of communicating the needs of the business, which is ultimately fundamental. And from what you've spoken about there and my thoughts on this is around, you know, sometimes I think people are forgetting the needs of the business and that without the business, there is no job. Um, you know, there'll be no four days, three days a week in the office. It's there isn't anything there. The business has to be running. Um, and I think that's been forgotten sometimes, but it's very easy to say that super direct and not, not be able to articulate the understanding to the employee. So the employee doesn't feel like, okay, this person doesn't understand my position. And I think what you've explained here in empathetic curiosity is an ideal route to go down in, in to be able to communicate and, and, and help employees and other individuals or whatnot understand this. So I, I think that's incredibly important. No, I, I completely agree. I think, you know, so many people are struggling to know what to say in the right way without, you know, getting HR on their back or, or, or triggering a complaint um, or falling out with somebody in the office. And this works the other way around as well. Um, you know, if I'm that person at home and my organization is telling me I need to be in five days a week now, how am I going to demonstrate some empathetic curiosity to have influence to shape how I would like to work as well in a way that works for both of us? Because as you say, some people are going from one extreme to the other. Um, and I do think there's probably this, this um, ground that works depending on the context of the role itself. You know, I think there is an argument to say, well, if your role, you know, you don't need to see anybody or be anywhere else and you can easily performance manage, but you still feel connected to the organization. Because I think that's the compromise there is how am I connected to the organization? How do I feel connected to my leaders and my teammates? Because for a lot of us that, you know, that is vital in terms of that. Um, what makes an organization sticky for us? What, what increases that level of loyalty? So, so long as I can address those things, it may be appropriate for you to be at home five days a week. It may absolutely be, but if my organization is perhaps, you know, an old school leader who likes to see people do work and that way they feel comfortable that they can do it, or, well, I'm in the office five days a week, why isn't everybody else? That might work brilliantly for you, but it might not work brilliantly for everybody else. So how, if I'm in that position, can I use empathetic curiosity? Okay. You're probably worried about the fact that 
know, I'm at home all day and you probably think I'm sitting here with my feet up dipping biscuits in tea. You're probably worried that, um, you know, I'm going to be disconnected from the organization. Uh, you're probably concerned that, you know, I'm not learning or growing um, because I'm not mixing with more senior people. I'm learning from people like you and people around me. You know, if you can understand their perspective and articulate that, um, and demonstrate you really understand why the business might want you in five days a week. It starts the process of a, a more grown-up conversation that is based on mutual understanding, and you'll probably get to a point where you can create a deal that um, is actually better than you imagined in the first place. And I think this is the key here. With empathetic curiosity, you uncover those unknown unknowns. There'll be something on your counterpart side that you hadn't imagined it was going to be really vital and important, but it's actually really easy for you to meet. And suddenly they feel like they've got an amazing deal and vice versa. So if you're talking about influence or negotiation or leadership, you know, empathetic curiosity is that common thread that will get you more of the outcomes you're looking for and strengthen the relationship and credibility and trust as you do it. Some really good points there because, um, I certainly focused a little bit more on the business needs when in reality, you know, there's the other side of this, which is the employee's need. And for the employee to be able to comfortably demonstrate their understanding of business critical needs, but also their personal needs. And, and so it does go two ways, doesn't it? And, and in all honesty, I hadn't thought of that until, until, you, until you've dived into that. And I think that's a really, a really important point because it, you know, everybody's situation is different. Uh, it, it isn't a one, you know, one size fits all. And employees could be in a in a position where they, they just don't know how to broach that or articulate it, and and so that could lead to an individual thinking, Do you know, what it might be easier just to look for a new role, and we could be losing um, potentially high quality staff simply because there's not some basic tools or they're not utilizing some basic communication skills that can help bridge that gap. And, and, and so that's, that's a really good point actually. And something I'm going to, I think I'm going to emphasize that going forward because it definitely does go two ways. Well, it does. And that, you know, that's the whole point of being empathetically curious. You know, the curious part means you're looking at the different perspectives. Uh, the empathy part is trying to understand why it matters to that person so much because it's driving their behavior. So it's obviously important. So if I can understand what's driving their behavior, what's driving their objection, what's driving their resistance or driving what's, what they're excited about or, you know, what's driving um, the direction they're traveling in, then I can do something with that. I can leverage that in some way. Um, I can create a much stronger bond. I can have greater influence if I need to change that direction in some way. So uh, it, it's a thread that um, is well worth developing in, in all walks of life. Yeah, no, completely agree. Well, look, Dean, um, we, we've had a real deep dive into empathetic curiosity and uh, I really appreciate your, you coming on and, and sharing your wisdom once more. Um, we've obviously mentioned around the club and, and I'd, I really would encourage anybody to, uh, who shows an interest in this podcast to, to get involved and uh, come and go and talk to Dean and, and understand a bit more about that. So you're getting a snippets here of, of, of the sort of information that's, that Dean shares. Um, Dean, any final words from you on this one? No, thank you again. Um, yeah, I love talking about these topics. I think, you know, being more curious is, is the start point here. Be curious about what's going on for the other person. It is an absolute game changer when it comes to both your composure, but the information you will reveal and what that means you can do in terms of the quality of that relationship. You can just uh, take it so much further. So, um, yeah, start small, small stakes practice. Be really curious whether that's with, you know, family, friends, some of the people you know and trust at work. 
and and build that muscle. It's a bit like building on you have a new skill. It's a bit like working a new muscle. So being curious about what's really going on for the other person, and then demonstrating your understanding of that is the is the next step. And uh, hopefully you'll find that it's a game changer for you too. Brilliant. Well, uh, thanks for coming on again. And um, you know, as, we, as we've agreed, we'll, we'll get you back on soon. Thanks, Chris. Thank you for joining me on another episode of Ox Talks. It's an absolute privilege to explore the fascinating intersection of these fields with our incredible guests. And if you found inspiration in our conversation, I encourage you to not only subscribe to Ox Talks on your preferred podcast platform, but also to seek out and follow our guests too. Anticipation is already building for our next guest, and I sincerely hope you'll join us for the upcoming episode of Ox Talks. Thank you for being a part of the Ox Talks family, and we can't wait to have you with us again soon. Thank you.